So, okay. Now you're on. Now you're really on. All right. Lord, I thank you that you are present with us in, in all of these things, and I thank you that we can come together in your name. And I just pray that out of this passage that we're looking at this morning and out of your word, that you'll really sharpen it, use it in our lives, um, bring it home to us. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So this, be, this month, we've been doing a series. We've been doing a series. Dan's been doing a series on, we've been talking about individuality. And now we're, today, we're going to talk about unity. We started the first week, Dan talked about how each of us has been created in the image of God. He used Genesis 1 to talk about how every one of us was created in the image of God. Psalm 139, where it talks about how intimately and personally God knows us and has known us from before we were born. He knit us together in our mother's womb. When we were unformed, he saw our unformed beings before they existed, according to Psalm 139. All of our days are known to him. So that was, that was the first week. The next week, we looked at the calling of Matthew. And the calling of Matthew illustrates that no matter where we are in our lives, no matter who we are, no matter our social status, our cultural status, whether we're an outcast or an insider, um, God will meet us where we are. And he will call us for his purposes. So these two lessons, those two lessons have really been about the individuality, about each of us as, in, as individual people. Today we're going to shift the focus a little to talk about spiritual gifts. And this is a topic that brings us from individuality into our unity. We don't have uniformity in the church. We know that. We wouldn't want uniformity in the church because God didn't create us all the same. What we want, what we strive for, is unity. We're going to look at one of the key passages in the New Testament where Paul talks about uh, unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have it with you, I'd encourage you to, to read along. We'll put it up on the screen and you'll see it. But I, I would encourage you to look at the whole chapter. I'm going to try to survey the chapter. Dan's going to talk about it again next week to give you another perspective on this topic and on this chapter. Um, <clears throat> Paul's writing to Corinth in 55-ish AD. Corinth was probably was among the most fractious, feuding, disputatious, pick your word. They had, they just had, they just seemed to quarrel with each other. One of the most, one of the most quarrelsome uh, churches that we have in the New Testament. Paul wrote them at least two letters, probably more than that. Um, we have two that have been recorded to us. Um, they wrote back to Paul. So there was a conversation going back and forth between them. Um, as he as in this, and we'll catch that a little bit of that as we go through what the conversation must have been about. Okay, so let's start with chapter twelve in First Corinthians, verses one through three. So, now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. For 
any of us who is a follower of Christ, there was a point in our lives, and maybe we can remember it, maybe we can't, when we said, Jesus is Lord. When we submitted to Christ. Maybe it happened when you were young and you don't specifically remember it and it was a gradual process going on through your life that you never really, you didn't really question all that much. Maybe you can point to a specific time and place when you said, Lord, you are the Lord of my life. And maybe you can point to that. Maybe you're like me. When my own experience was, I grew up with the church, I grew up going to church. Didn't really question the idea that Jesus was the Lord, except that I got to a point in my 20s where I said, if this is real, if Jesus really is the Lord, I have to submit to this. This is really, I said, if you're the Lord, then I have to live differently. And, and so that was my experience. Yours is going to be somewhat different, but... At some point, all of us who were followers of Christ came to a point where this is Lord. How did that happen? Well, we get a good clue from, from in an episode in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Oh, who do people say that I am? And the disciples give him various answers and he says, Well, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter is saying at that point, you are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are the one who has been promised from the beginning of Israel as our deliverer. And, as our, and you are the master and you are, the, you are God incarnate. You are God in person, in the flesh, right here with us. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a fantastic confession of Jesus as Lord. The same, we made it in different terms, but we said something similar. But what's important is what Jesus says next. Also important is what Jesus says next. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. Now, Peter had been walking around with Jesus more or less for a couple of years, probably seeing him almost every day. He saw everything about Jesus' life. He had heard the sermons. He sat through the entire Sermon on the Mount, probably. He had, he had heard all the teachings. He'd heard the parables. He had seen the miracles. His own mother-in-law had been healed by Jesus. Jesus apparently stayed at least some one night or more in Peter's house. So all of that flesh and blood stuff, Peter had had. But Jesus is saying, but that's not what revealed to you that, that I am the Messiah. That came from my Father in heaven. That came from God himself. This is really astonishing. This is just, um, I don't know, I don't know the words. It's extraordinary that when we said, when Peter said and when we said, you are the, Jesus is Lord, that was the presence of God 
in our lives. The presence of the almighty, eternal, powerful God in our lives. That's how it happened. Let's go back a little bit. And um, for those of you who've had many conversations with me over the last year or so, you're going to recognize where some of this, some of this idea comes from. Uh, you won't have to have it. But let's go back to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, where, where God gave the Ten Commandments. All right? And remember the presence of God and the glory of God on Mount Sinai. So much so that the people were just overwhelmed. Right? Then they built a tabernacle in the wilderness. And the presence of God, the glory of God, what's called what we've called the Shekinah glory, the presence of God in the tabernacle would fill the tabernacle, and they could only go certain places. And it was a significant major event. Solomon then built the, t- the temple, and the, it says the presence of God and the glory of God filled the temple. That's the presence and the glory of God as we saw it in the Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, at the time of the exile, it appears, well, Ezekiel says the presence of the Lord left the temple. And we don't have, even though they rebuilt the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah, we don't have any evidence that the glory of God came back. In fact, we have the prophets, we have the prophets saying, where's this glory of God we've heard about? Right? Except when Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to earth, and he, John 1 says, he dwelt among us. You know that verse? He dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the word tabernacle. He was the tabernacle among us. His presence was the glory and the presence of God in the lives of the people there. Same presence and glory of God that had been in the tabernacle all that time was in Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven. Did God then leave us? No. Because the Holy Spirit came. And the same presence and glory of God that was on Mount Sinai, that was in the tabernacle, that was in the temple, that was in Jesus now dwells in you and me and every follower of Jesus Christ. Now that is mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Because my life is pretty mundane. Even before I retired, my life wasn't all that exciting. I go to the grocery store. I, you know, I interact with friends and family, co-workers in the old days. I, you know, I mean, really? Doesn't God have something better to do than dwell in my life? And the answer is, well, he does that and all these other things too. But imagine that the presence of God is dwelling in our lives. Every fall, the same presence of God. We've heard of this in the Holy Spirit. Francis, the Christian writer and pastor, Francis Chen, has referred to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God. Because we don't, partly he says this, because we don't really think about that presence of God in our lives in that way and what that means for us. But when we said, Jesus is Lord, the presence of God in our lives was saying that. All right, now, 
Let's turn on to the next part of the text, verses um, 4 through 6. In these passages, I rearranged these verses, the structure of these verses, so you can see it. If I had the if I had the talent, I would have put them sort of in a musical notation because what he's doing in these verses is is repeating certain phrases, like in a music in a passage of music where you re, repeat certain passages. But that's what Paul does here. So okay, and this is where we're going to go from the first two weeks when we talked about the individual presence of God in our lives and what God, who God was and how he made us and how we are special to him and how he knew us from the day before we were born, how he called us from wherever we were. We're going to move from that to who we are here in the church. Okay, here we go, verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God at work in all of them, all of the gifts, service, and worship working, and in everyone, everyone. This is the way he sets it up. So you can see the three persons of the Trinity, the three presence of God in, in these different forms. There are different kinds of gifts. The word is actually the word that we use for grace. It's charisma. There are different kinds, and some translations have it as gifts of grace. These are the spiritual gifts. The grace that God has poured out has been given to us in different forms. So each of us has different gifts. All right? But the same spirit. Even though we're not uniform, we have unity. There are different kinds of service. We do different things. We work together for the good of the body. It's our word deacons, all right? For people who do acts of service in the church. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. We're all working under the same master. So even though we do different things, we serve in different ways, it's all under the same master. And different kinds of workings or different kinds of activities. It's actually our word, the same word as we use for energy. There are different kinds of, but the same God at work. So these gifts that we've given, the service that we do, are energized by the presence of God in our lives. The Spirit, the Lord, the Father. In all of them and in everyone. Now, so in other words, you and I and everyone, all of the people sitting here and all of you who are watching online, we are charismatic, energetic servants to other members of the church. That's what Paul is saying here. Charismatic, energetic servants to other members of the church. All right. So this passage tells us a lot about what we're supposed to do. It's not about you or me or any of us individually. Every one of us has our individual place. But it's about how God is working in our lives for the service of others, in all of them and in everyone. 
Let's turn to verse 7. Verse 7. Now to each one, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. If there were one verse in 1 Corinthians 12 that, I would, that you might want to memorize, if you do memory verses, and it's a good thing, I do it sometimes. If you want to memorize a verse, this is one to memorize. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's a good verse to memorize. It, it sort of captures the whole idea of the chapter. Here's, here's the thing. I love words, as you probably figured out. You probably also have figured out that I don't really stop talking very much. I've kind of talked nonstop for 68 years, and I love words. I don't know that I've ever actually used the word manifestation before. So it's not in my regular vocabulary. Maybe it's in yours. So what does this mean? What is this? And it's actually kind of an unusual word for Paul to use, too. Um, so what does this mean? Is it like something at a seance that sort of floats above? And, or is it something out of Ghostbusters, like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man or something? Is that the way manifestation, is that what he's talking about? It's a little, you know, that's, so there are some other, trans, other ways of saying the same thing which I think really make it clear. The message puts it this way. Every person, is, every person is given something to do that shows who God is. The contemporary English, English version. The Spirit has given to each of us a special way of serving others. That's what this verse is saying. The Spirit, the presence of God in our lives. That same presence that we saw throughout the Bible in all these different ways. That presence of God has given each of us a special way of serving others. We refer to these as spiritual gifts. And what are these different special ways of serving others? Well, on the next slide... We have, a, we have a list of some of the spiritual gifts. Paul in this chapter goes on to inventory or give a list of spiritual gifts. Some of the special ways that God uses us to serve others. And in this particular chapter, he uses ones like wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, distinguish, and so on. He, gives, he talks about this again in Romans chapter 12, and he gives a somewhat similar but different list. Prophecy, teaching, service, exhortation, and so on. He talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4, and he gives a similar but somewhat different gifts. Prophecy, apostle, teaching, and so on. So, first Peter, talks, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 4, and he does a thing. So, how do we understand this list? How do we understand these gifts? Well, different congregations, different denominations look at them differently. But, uh, and when I was, when Dan and I talked about doing this, with me doing this sermon, um, I talked to him. I said, so what, what, what do people know about spiritual gifts? And he talked about it. I talked with Angela about it. I've talked to many of you about it. And I asked, in particular, 
Have you ever done a spiritual gifts inventory or a spiritual gifts survey among the people at Cascade Covenant? And the general thought was, yeah, sometime in the past we've done them or we've done them on certain retreats or we've done them in situations, but it hasn't been something that we've really done um, very much. And that's, you know, so I'm going to, what's the word I want? Encourage, tell, uh, instruct, pick your word. I'm going to encourage every one of you to take a spiritual gifts inventory. You can go online, Google spiritual gifts inventory, and you'll find all these different ones you can take. I have, I've, taken, I've gotten one that I've collected from LifeWay's Christian Resources. It seems like a perfectly good one, no better than anything else. Seems, you don't have to take that one. There's a link to it in the digital bulletin if you want to do it. Um, there are copies in the back. The thing with this one is a PDF. So on one hand, you have to, it helps to be able to do it on PDF, do it as a PDF, which is kind of good because you can, you, as somebody pointed out to me, you can make the font big um, if you need to. Um, uh, on the other hand, you're doing it with pencil and paper. Um, so there are copies in the back if you want to do one, but I think every, and you don't have to do that one. The other advantage of it is over some of the online ones is I didn't have to sign up for their mailing list. That was actually their main advantage. That's the way I did this one. I didn't have to sign up to get follow-up emails from them. So, you know, this was a really deep spiritual insight. I just didn't want to get more emails coloring up my box. So, so, uh, so I would strongly encourage you to do a spiritual gifts inventory survey. There's one in the back, some copies there. Go to the digital bulletin. You can download one there. You can go to other places online. You can sign up for their emails if you want. Um, so what are you going to learn? Well, probably at some point in your life, you've probably taken some kind of a personality test. Is this just one more of those? Is this like, Mas is this like Taylor Johnson? Or is this like, um, I almost said Briggs and Stratton, Myers-Briggs. Um, Briggs and Stratton, you could do Briggs and Stratton too. Um, is it like an Enneagram? Because uh, many of you have done Enneagram. The personality test, is it like that? Well, those are really good because they help to tell you about yourself. They're, they're, they may or may not have a Christian focus depending on how you do them, but they tell you about yourself and they tell you really about how God has made you. So they're really addressing kind of the first couple weeks of this series. What a spiritual gifts inventory does is say, it's a little bit different. It says, how has the presence of God in your life, how does the presence of God in your life affect the other people in the church? So it's not so inwardly directed. It's outwardly directed. How does this presence of God in your life affect other people in the church? Now, you may look at some of these gifts and say, well, um, I don't really know what that is. And so, so the next slide shows, shows you some of the questions on this test, this survey. There are 80 questions. Takes you about 20 minutes. Um, don't overthink it. Uh, just, you know, fill it out, go on. Uh, probably talk it over with someone uh, as you go. Now, as we do this, 
you definitely do want to complete it and then talk it through with somebody and say, is this somebody you know well, your spouse or somebody else you know well? And say, is this, how you, is this what you see in the presence of God in my life? Because we can get fooled. We can get fooled in different directions. We can think, well, I'm really a gifted such and such and nobody else sees it. No. Um, or we can more commonly, and I think more, much more commonly, we overlook some of the presence of God in our lives and how that's affecting other people. And, um, and so I really want you to do the survey, um, discuss it with somebody. Pastor Angela said you can discuss the results with her if you want to. Dan said you can discuss it with, Pastor Dan said you can discuss it with him. We're, we're going to discuss them next Sunday morning in Life in the Bible at 9 o'clock, right across the hall. If you want to come there, um, the people in that group have, are doing the inventory. I told them to do the inventory. Um, and they're very obedient. Um, so I've never had a class that actually did the things that I assigned to them. Um, so, so you can take the, take the inventory, discuss it there, and we can see some of what God is doing in your life and how it's affecting the body of Christ. Okay, a couple things to say about it, a couple more things to say about it. What the, the point of this is that why is this beneficial? I've done them multiple times over the last 40-some years. Um, so for me, it helps me recognize the presence of God in my life. It helps me think about all my activities in the church and maybe the places where I should focus and, uh, and how that might be affecting people around me. But it doesn't, it doesn't say, well, because I score in this, I should be appointed to this position, or I should be this, or that's not like that. It's not primarily about us. It's about how we are affecting other people. Knowing that can help us to fan, the, fan into flames the spirit that is in us, as Paul tells Timothy. A couple other thoughts. You might score low in particular areas. You probably will. That doesn't mean you're permitted to ignore that area. No matter how many times I take the test, I score low on mercy and, and uh, helps. All right? That doesn't mean that I'm allowed to be unmerciful and unhelpful. It means that those are areas where I need to be praying about the, the spirit, presence of God to make me a little more like that, although I'm probably not ever going to be somebody who immediately responds with mercy and helps. All right. So as you take it, you know, it doesn't let you off the hook. And second, remember, these questions were put together by a group of people, and, you know, and they had their own definitions and their own categories. And the presence of the Almighty God in our lives, he's not required to color inside the lines. He can give us any gift, any time, for any purpose, for any person to build the body of Christ. So don't become overly rigid in the way you think about it. Here's how I think, here's a way I think about it. The college where I used to work, I mean, I would have a park in my parking lot, go to my office in my lab, and as I would do that, I would walk right by the fitness center every day. And I thought, okay, well now I got no excuse. So I went to the fitness center every day. And I mean, you could tell. <laughs> right. Right? And I would use the exercise machines. I would use the weight machines. All right? And on the weight machines, for example, you would see a little diagram, and it would show you a person in the right posture for using that machine, and it shows you which muscle groups are being exercised by that machine. 
Okay? And that was really helpful. That little diagram was helpful to say, okay, if you're using this machine correctly, these are the muscle groups that you'll be exercising. It, was, I, it didn't tell me the names of the muscle groups. And in fact, because I'm not a personal trainer or a physical therapist or something, knowing the names of the muscle groups wasn't so important in exercising them. What was important was the exercising, not naming them. It's the same with spiritual gifts. It's, it's important that we exercise, not that we try to name them. Now, another thing about spiritual gifts and the, and the exercise machine, as I would exercise, I would often come away say, huh, I exercised muscles I didn't even know I had. Well, that's the same thing with spiritual gifts. It exercises things that you don't even know you have, because God has given these things. One last topic. Paul makes it clear in this, in this chapter that all of the gifts, all of us have gifts, all of them are important for the health of the body of Christ. None of them can be ignored. On the other hand, every congregation everywhere, including Corinth in 55 AD, Cascade Covenant Church in North Bend, Washington in 2021, because of the nature of our meetings and our structures and so on, some of the gifts become more visible than others. And, and you know this. So Paul goes on this um, illustration using parts of the body and parts of the body saying, I don't need you. And it's the, as far as I can remember, it's the only place in the New Testament letters where Paul actually demonstrates that he may have had a sense of humor. Um, but because it's actually kind of a humorous uh, example. So you can read through that. I'll give you a different illustration. And this came up in our community group, and the person who said it gave me permission to use this illustration. All right? Is when, we were, when I was asking about this and asking what people knew and so on, and the person said, well, you know, I don't, I'm not really somebody who can be up front singing. I don't sing that well. And, and I, I'm not really a teacher, so I'm not kind of in front of it that way. I can't really do the technical things. And I'm just not sure how much my gift plays into the health and the building up of the church. And I have to tell you, I was, um, and I hope I responded graciously. I think I did. Because I was dumbfounded. When we moved here three plus years ago, right, we were completely new. We could have been any kind of people at all, right? This person had us over for dinner. Within a month of us being here, she had us over for dinner. We have had dinner at their house multiple times. Her hospitality builds the body of Christ. Now, right now, that's got to take some different forms because of the pandemic. But that hospitality is the gift that builds the body of Christ. Now, maybe she says, and she did, well, that's just the way I am. Yeah, well, why are you that way? It's because that's the way God made you. Because that's the way God energized you. That's the way I And as we look at the list of the gifts, if we can go back a slide, just look at the list again. And think about what the church, is, the church during the pandemic. The gifts that are sort of the most visible, the people with the musical skills that bring us encouragement and inspiration and so on. 
the people who stand up front speaking, is the technical people who do that, who do the serve, serve that way. We've seen how important they are. And we thank God for them. But we've also seen something else. That because that, that allows us to sit back and just watch, we become the people who are being served, but not necessarily the people who are serving. We become consumers of church stuff without being contributors of church. I think what we've all been contributors to the church. I think what we've also seen, and we've recognized, is just how valuable some of the gifts that we don't maybe emphasize have really proved to be for the life of the church. Things like faith, knowing God was with us. Wisdom during all the confusing times. Knowledge is all the different information, often contradictory, is coming out. Helps. Mercy. All mercy. Oh my goodness. How much did the gifts of mercy serve the church? And what we recognize during this time is that all of these gifts are essential for the health of the church. And when I, I rewrote this last little bit based on what Angela mentally reported, based on Angela's announcement this morning. I think we're seeing that all of us are seeing, oh, there are ways I serve the body of Christ that, are, that I can serve. I can build the body of Christ, and these are necessary and essential. All right. So, so to wrap it up, Dan's going to talk more about this next week. Um, Spiritual gift inventory, do one, fill it out, bring it in, talk about it, talk about it with people you know, talk, just not so we assign you to tasks, obviously the organization needs tasks, every organization needs people to do the tasks, that's not the point. The point is, how is the presence of God in your life affecting other members of the church? We'll go back to verse 7. The Spirit has given each of us a special way of serving others. That's the spiritual gift. All right, let me pray. Lord, I, the presence of your presence in my life, in the lives of every one of us, is such a mystery to us. Such a wonderful mystery, because it says that wherever we are, we are walking on holy ground because you are present. That there's no difference between what secular activities and, and spiritual activities because you are always present in our lives. All of them are spiritual. I praise you and I thank you and I thank you for the way that you are working in this body now. And I pray that, that we may see you glorified in the way we build one. In the name of the, of the Spirit who distributes the gifts, in the name of the Lord who we serve, and in the name of the Father who energizes and in all things, amen. Now,
Let me give you a benediction. I wrote one at, at one in the morning, and then I forgot that one. Another one, so this kind of winging the benediction. The presence of God in your life is serving, is affecting others. So as we go forth, I want to think about praise God for his presence in your life and how it affects you. Amen.